A text on this New Year's Eve on which the church traditionally also recognizes the the circumcision and the name of our Lord Jesus. Our text from St. Luke, the second chapter, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord and our Savior. Jesus Christ, dear friends in our Lord Jesus, perhaps you're familiar with a name that's been rather popular in movies over the last several years. It's not a new name by any stretch. Frankly, the name's been popular among children, even among adults, ever since the author, C.S. Lewis, first put this name to paper in 1950 when he published what would become a classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the first in that series of what's called the Chronicles of Narnia. The name of which I, the famous name of which I speak is Aslan. Maybe you know it. Aslan, Aslan is the name given to the Lion of Narnia. Now remember, Narnia is this magical land entered upon through a particularly unique wardrobe. And this Lion, Aslan, is he who created the world of Narnia, the one whom all the creatures, the one to whom all the creatures of Narnia bow the knee. He's the king. Aslan is mighty, but he's most good. In fact, as the story goes, Aslan, though the creator of Narnia, would tame and would restrain his mighty roar, and like a silent lamb, this lion would offer himself to bleed and to die for a human boy named Edmund. For you see, Edmund, Edmund of his own device had gone the wayward way and and of his own device had found himself enslaved to the white witch, the one who had enslaved all of the land of Narnia under perpetual winter. Well, this boy Edmund was freed by the atoning death of his substitute, Aslan, this lion of Narnia. And finally, the land of Narnia, finally freed from this curse of eternal Winter, at long last, Narnia saw the warmth and the new life of springtime restored. Well, if it all sounds a bit familiar to you, it should. Because C.S. Lewis, you see, wrote these stories, these children's stories, as Christian allegory. Christian symbolism of the higher Christian truth in Aslan is the name given to the figure who was Christ. Recently, watching again with my sons... This movie released some years ago, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I was reminded of what deep impression the mere mention of the name Aslan left on the characters of the story who would hear it or who themselves would speak it. The mere whisper of the name of mighty Aslan would unnerve those who opposed it and cause them to stop and draw breath. The simple mention of the fact that Aslan's on the move, instilled in his own, instilled in them, and and swelled the confidence of those who were blessed to be on this great lion's side. Aslan, because of him who bore the name, the very mention of the name was enough to disturb in this story or to uplift the demeanor of those who heard it. Well, there is a name to which even the name of Aslan must bow, and you know it well. The name of which I speak is the name given to the unique child in our text, Jesus. 
Jesus, the name given to and born by that infant creator to whom all creatures must bow, Jesus. It means Yahweh is salvation. For he, said the angel, for he will save his people from their sins. Fascinating that in his very name, his divine nature is made known, indicating that he, the one who would save his people from their sins, as the angel said, he is more than just a child in the arms of his mother. He is Yahweh in the flesh. In fact, having restrained his cosmic powers, now at his circumcision ready, already to begin shedding his newly acquired blood in a life divinely destined to be spent in such a way, in order that every boy and every girl, every man and woman, as I like how C.S. Lewis puts it, so that every son of Adam and daughter of Eve, so that we all might live. As we leave behind the year 2009 and we enter the future, we do well to recall the name of him which goes before you and which has gone behind you and the name which since the day that you were baptized into it and first believed on it, the name that has since rested upon you, Jesus' name. As you depart 2009, no doubt, there are things I'm sure that you can't wait to leave behind you. In fact, in that regard, I suppose 2010, for many of you, couldn't get here fast enough. I'm talking about those things that mark your memory, and, and try as you may, you just can't shake them from your thoughts. They were wrong. You know they were wrong. And what you wouldn't do to make them right. Remember then the name that goes behind you, Jesus' name. And remember what it means, he shall save his people from their sins. Remember that he has. Jesus has lived up to his name. And you mark that week after week here in this place or other places where his name is proclaimed. You mark that daily in your life. You heard it announced and and proclaim to you, you tasted it with your own tongue at his altar like you do, like you will tonight for the very last time this year. Through these, you see Jesus is on the move. Bringing the springtime of life restored to you, releasing you from sin's curse as he bears to you the fruits of his forgiving and atoning death. And he brings these to you precisely to bring his cross into your present view so that you can look on your past and know that all has been forgiven. God has forgiven it and he's forgotten about it so that you can and you should too. So that you can look forward with a clear conscience. St. Paul did. Now you remember his past. An accomplice to the murder of Stephen. Organizer of, of Christian persecution in his day. What he wouldn't have given to take it back. But he couldn't. He knew he couldn't take it back. And it wasn't because he couldn't go back in time and do it over again. You know the reason he couldn't take it back? 
It was because what he had done no longer belonged to him. What he had done no longer belonged to him. It belonged to Jesus Christ who owned it now and who long before Paul did it, took it as his own to the cross. And you can't take back what you don't own. And Paul knew that. And so that's why he begins his second letter to to Timothy, his second epistle to Timothy, despite his past, despite the fact that he too must have cringed every time he heard the name Stephen spoke. Despite it all, here's how he begins his second letter to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. And you too. You too, knowing that the cross of Jesus past has won the pardon that he himself brings to you in the present. You too, like Paul, can forget then whatever it is that lies behind you, leaving it at the cross that bore his name. You can leave it behind you. Forgetting what lies behind you, you can press on with Paul and with a clear conscience to, to what lies ahead for you in this coming year and the years to come. But no doubt as you now depart 2009, there are the things that you're not at all ready to leave behind and forget. Like people and like memories. As the old saying goes, time waits for no man. Ready or not, time compels each and every one of us ever onward. Even when we don't want to go. Maybe you're leaving loved ones in the year 2009. Loved ones who have gone before you now in the year 2009. And you don't like much the thought of meeting a new year. One that your mother or your father or your lifetime spouse. A year that he or she never will face with you. Never will see and face with you, at least here below. Or maybe in 2009 you lost a son or a daughter by miscarriage. One that for the very, uh, in a year now, that for the very first time this year was going to be the one that you, that you would lay your eyes on him or on her and she or he would would lay his newborn eyes or her newborn eyes on you, but it wasn't to be. Now, because of divinely permitted circumstances, it won't be and And here below, you'll never get to speak his precious little name or her name. Never get to say it and share it with her. And you're not ready to let go and move on, and yet time compels you, but you're not yet ready to leave it behind you. Then remember what Mary's infant child promised to be for you. Jesus. Jesus, he who delivers his people from their sin, from sin's effects. As far as the curse is found. Isaac Watts wrote that beautiful phrase. We sing it each year as we have this last year a couple times in the hymn Joy to the World. He's promised to be Jesus to you and for you as far as sin's curse is found. And because the frosty effects of a fallen world still under sin's winter, at least for now, because they leave us still mourning and grieving as others will for you one day. 
then you recall with confidence what he has promised to be Jesus for you as far as sin's effects are found for when time robs you of the names that you so long to speak Jesus gives you his name to call upon in their void and he will comfort you with the grace sufficient that he has promised you and that he has sworn by his name to provide to you and for those who are left here below To live life without a spouse. Even as Mary would be left without it would evidently seem from the scriptures without her spouse as she watched her son die on the cross. Even yet recall that even there this Jesus proved to be Jesus as this Jesus her son provided for her. Even as he would provide for you. Because you see, he's made you part of his family. The family that gathers in his name. And that gladly bears each other's burdens and, and welcomes grieving mothers. Even welcomes grieving mothers as their own. Family in Christ. Perhaps as you prepare to leave 2009 and, and enter what lies ahead. Perhaps you feel like you're leaving the best days for harder days. You may be. Maybe it's because of the name of a particular diagnosis. One that's certain to, to knock the wind out of you. To stop you in your tracks. One that's certain to disturb the demeanor of anyone who hears the doctor whisper its name. Or mention it. Like Alzheimer's. Cancer. Parkinson's. Perhaps there's been a flare-up in the numbers, your medical numbers, or perhaps you, you already, though quietly, but yet you can tell that your mind and your memory isn't what it was, and that's natural, but you know it's not what it should be. Or for whatever reason, your body's weakening. It's not getting any stronger. Far as the curse is found, so he's promised that he will be for you, Jesus. And he'll go before you into whatever storm awaits you. Indeed, this Jesus, he'll be with you in your boat. So as your arms weaken at the oars of life, he will be your strength. As the tempest fogs and confuses and and disorients your mind, he will direct the way to heaven's shore. And if your hand on the steering tiller trembles and begins to shake then he'll grab your hand even more firmly reminding you that his steady hand always has been and always will be that which will bring you home this Jesus this Jesus this Jesus may even deliver you from life's storm by way of life's storms he does that sometimes Through sin's effects, delivering his people in sickness, illness, delivering his people through these very things to the place where sin no longer has effect. To the place where all of those who bear and who have believed on his name will be with him forever. Perhaps you enter 2010 unsettled. 
because the economy is still unsettled. Or employment's up in the air and uncertain, and you've got bills to pay that seem like they're going to outstretch your income. You're unsettled on the home front because the search for a spouse or a confidant continues. The search continues even though you resolved last December that this was going to be the year. Perhaps you're unsettled heading into the future because the church seems so unsettled. And you don't know what the map is going to look like a year from now. Perhaps you feel unsettled because you don't know how much, how much more difficult it will be for you and for your children to be Christian, to bear the name of Jesus in this world in the, in the year and in the years to come. Unsettled though you may feel, do you think Jesus will cease to be Jesus for his people, for his church, for his own? And if he was willing to be Jesus all the way to Calvary's cross, and for you, do you think that he'd now cease to live up to his name? Do you think the tribulation and anxieties of the world can bury him, can bury his name, can bury those who bear his name? Indeed, was it not Jesus who said to his own, there will be tribulation in the world, but you, you be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. No matter the past, nor things present, nor things to come, there is a name, unlike any name, unlike any other name given under heaven. A name that's invested with the certainty of God with us in the flesh. The certainty of God's promises, a name that instills in his people and swells in them a confidence at the very hearing of it and instills in them a peace that this fleeting world cannot give the name is that of Jesus and as far as the curse is found for you in this year and beyond he has deigned and he has promised to be for you Jesus I want to leave you tonight and I suppose this year I want to leave you with words from a hymn for New Year's Eve. In fact, we'll sing it after the collection of the offering tonight. This hymn, the words of this hymn, it, it exhumes the confidence of those beloved of Aslan, Lion of Narnia. It exhumes the confidence that they knew at the whisper or mention of his name. Here's how these words go. This Jesus came to enter sin's war, this name of names. For us he bore. His love abundant far exceeds the volume of a whole year's needs. With him as Lord to lead our way in want and in prosperity. What need we fear in earth or space? We are the children of God's grace. What need would we fear? For as scripture declares, behold the Lion of Judah... The root of David, he has conquered. He's conquered it all. Jesus is his name. And so we depart this year and enter a new year with every confidence in his name. Amen.